Welcome aboard, Eagles fans, to the No Huddle Show. I'm Joe Chilio, and with you, as always, Matt Lombardo, Elliot Shore Parks. They cover the Eagles for NJ Advanced Media. Back now after a trip to D.C. to watch the Eagles move to 1-0 and um, with a road win to start the season. A lot of reaction, and that's what this podcast is going to be about. Reaction to Week 1, reaction to Doug Peterson's play calling, reaction to the reaction to Doug Peterson, and everything that went into that 30-17 to Eagles victory. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud before we get into all this. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. Leave us five-star ratings. Helps our show grow. This should be a fun one. We're going to do this every week where we take your reaction. Hashtag the No Huddle Show if you're on Twitter. Uh, and the No Huddle Show at NJAdvancedMedia.com. That's the email address. We got a bunch of emails, bunch of tweets that came in uh, reacting to the game right after it happened. So we want to bring those to you and talk about them. And uh, Elliot, just start here and we'll get to all the reaction from our listeners and there was a lot of it which was really cool but I think the three of us or at least me compared to you guys a little bit because I listened to your uh, post-game podcast that you guys did at the FedEx field um, press box I think I'm on a different side than you from the perspective of Doug Peterson and that's been a lot of conversation in the last couple days is Mm -hmm. Doug um, I think Doug deserves credit for the win and and the way the Eagles went down there and won the game but just to recap, especially if people didn't get a chance to listen yet to your reaction podcast, you guys were a little bit more critical of Doug for the way that game went. So just quickly for both of you, we'll start L.A., then Matt, summarize the way you felt about Doug, um, play calling, game calling on Sunday, and then we'll, we'll kind of debate it here. Yeah, I think this is actually the perfect week to start this type of podcast. Where we're going to be taking reactions because it's it's been interesting to see the reaction to this win because you would think that – if, you know, them coming off a win at Washington, we would be starting this podcast with something different. You know, you would think coming off that win, now this is extreme. We'd be talking about, you know, are they NFC contenders? Could they, you know, make it all the way to the championship game? I mean, you they went to Washington, beat a team that they had lost to five times in a row. Carson Wentz played really well. And I want to talk about him later, too, because I think the reaction to his game has been mixed. But I thought he played really well. The defense played really well. You kind of saw everything you thought you were going to see from this team, and they won the game. And we're starting with Doug. So I just think it's interesting how that that's been the reaction to this game. Like it's been Carson was good, but also Doug's Doug's kind of a mess. And as much as I think that's interesting, I agree with it. I mean, as you said, in the post game podcast, I was critical of Doug. And since then, I've rewatched the game twice and I've just become more critical. I mean, he just here's my thing about Doug. He does have some positive qualities. I'm not saying he doesn't. Look, I mean, he's now coached 17 games and he's eight and nine. So he's not exactly a train wreck. Um, the team plays hard. Last year, I thought there was an opportunity for them to kind of give up on him, and they didn't. You saw the Gatorade bath, which is kind of silly after one week, but I think that legitimately means something. These players really like Doug. They support him, and if they didn't think he was a good coach, they wouldn't like him. So I think there's something to be said for that. That being said, when you watch the game, I can't help but think that for a team that I picked, that I've now picked to win the division, and I did before week one, but I mean since the last time we talked, Joe, um, for a team that I think is going to win the division, it's going to happen this year where Doug is going to cost them a game. I mean, we'll get into specifics, I guess, but my initial reaction on Doug is just they won the game. It was an impressive win, but it's coming. It's coming one game this season. We, we think we're ripping Doug now. Wait till we get to reaction podcast later in the season when Doug makes a decision that comes back to bite them because I thought he made a few against the Redskins that could have ultimately cost him the game. All right, before I, I give my thoughts on, on what Doug did, didn't do, and in the reaction to Doug, Matt, how did you feel about the way Doug called that game and, 
and then just the performance in general from Doug's team that Elliot was talking about. Yeah, Joe, I think they did enough to go down there and survive, especially after losing Ronald Darby on the 11th snap of the game. I give a lot of credit to the defensive side of the ball, not just the front four pressure, not just Tim Jernigan and Fletcher Cox getting some push up the middle, but Jim Schwartz calling timely blitzes, Jordan Hicks with that blitz on Kirk Cousins that led to Jalen Mills' interception. I really put this win on Sunday on the back of the defense. I, I give them a lot of credit. I give Jim Schwartz a lot of high marks for the game plan he put together and the way that the defense went out and executed it. Offensively, I, I really think that they almost won in spite of the offense. And I know that Carson Wentz had some brilliant plays when he made something out of nothing, creating a big play opportunities, such as the Nelson Aguilar shot down the field, the 58-yard touchdown, such as that timely throw to Ertz on third down where he scrambled out of the pocket and hit him, and Ertz got five or six yards after the catch. But I think that what we saw on Sunday, guys, was this team has the chance to be a top 10 defense, which a lot of us talked about before the year even began, but it's going to be a struggle for this offense to get all of the pieces coming together. The offensive line was very leaky. They couldn't get anything going in terms of the running game. Part of that lies on Doug's shoulders to throw the ball 39 times, run it 20 times. The running backs only averaged 2.8 yards per carry. That's really not good enough. And LeGarrette Blunt taking a majority of the snaps, that's not what he is at this stage of his career. I thought Doug got away from the run game way too early. I thought that Carson Wentz, we saw some of his flaws. As much as we all want to be impressed with the improvisation and some of the elite level throws that he made on the run, one for six on deep passes underscores the issues that he had last year. And I think that this offense is going to need to be a much more balanced attack if they're going to be a team that can compete for the playoffs. Look, they played against a team in the Redskins that we saw is pretty much in disarray. Kirk Cousins is going through the same issues with Terrell Pryor that Wentz went through without Alshon Jeffrey on Sunday. Their running game isn't much better than the Eagles running game at this point. But this week, Thursday night against Kansas City, you're going up against arguably the best team in football. And the effort that the Eagles game on Sunday isn't going to be enough to get the job done. So I think that I don't know that Doug held them back, but I think that the, the defense elevated them to a point where the offense could do enough to win the game. All right. I have a lot of thoughts here. And I'll, I think we could break this up into a couple uh, categories, because I do agree with some of what you guys said there. Elliot, um, may he cost him the game? He might. Uh, Matt was the defense, the, the the driver of that win. Yes, it was. Or right, here's here's my thoughts on not just you guys and your reaction, but this seems like the city of Philadelphia and the reaction of Doug. Number one, I think it's unfair that we and and I think the three of us do this. I think everyone does it. We talk about Doug as if he's only the offensive coordinator. And Elliot, I think you gave him some credit for this a few seconds ago. He's the head coach. Yeah. They won. They won by 13. They play hard from all that stuff. So I don't think that gets brought up enough, and I think it should. He's the head coach. He's responsible for everything, not just screen passes and run pass and all that. Although we, I, I understand why we do that because – the way the Eagles set it up with the coach and, and the coordinator. And Frank Reich, sec- not really. And he's, he's the play caller. Right? Doug's yeah, the play right. caller on offense, and he kind of allows, and I've been told this multiple times, that Jim Schwartz is essentially the head coach of the defense. Yes. That's, so that's just the, the way that the, the coaching staff has been structured. You know, Right. The Eagles set it up for almost us to talk like this. It's almost like it's two different things. But again, he is the head coach. The second part, I'll take it from the off, just the offensive perspective. Um, I mean, you guys were there, obviously, covering the game. And so I was watching the game. I also watched some of the other games. Offense was bad around the NFL on Sunday. Now, this might have been a one-week blip. This might have been the preseason, not giving teams ready to, you know, get ready to go, whatever it was. But here's where the Eagles finished. Now, obviously, the Dolphins and Bucks didn't play. 
Uh, so 30 teams played this week. They finished 10th in yards, third in points. And I know six of those points came in a defensive touchdown, but 10th in yards. They were above average this week, all things considered, compared to everyone else in the NFL. And um, some of the things he does, run pass. Look, we talked about this last week in the preview podcast. They're going to pass the ball. I mean, they traded up to get Carson Wentz. They, they signed wide receivers. They're not going to run the ball. And they don't have really good backs anyway to run the ball. So, one, I think that we're going to do that every week, but it doesn't surprise me. Two, some of the calls. Uh, the only one that got me, and maybe say, oh, Doug, what are you doing, is the screen pass to Aguilar behind the line of scrimmage became a lateral and fumble and the turnover. But the other ones... I think he's going to use that screen game to protect the offensive line, Elliot. You, I know you put a screenshot up yesterday. Matt just mentioned it. Um, but a play like that, I look at it as he can't protect his quarterback with this offensive line every single play, all the passes. So that's an easy way to get a pass out of his hand. I don't have a problem with that because I think the context is the offensive line's not very good. They're not going to push on the run game. He's going to run some screens to protect Carson Wentz. Yeah, but here, here's the two here's the two things I think you're missing, in my opinion. So first is um, let's just talk about Doug as a specific. I agree with I agree with your point that he's overly criticized in the way that he is the head coach overall, and his job as the head coach is not specifically to run the offense. So I do see your point about that. That we need to look about this team in a larger sense too. Like, look, me and Matt are in the locker room every day. I think they're a well like the locker room is is a happy place, as stupid as that sounds. Like, everyone gets along. There's no issues. I think everyone likes being there. Doug has set up a good work environment. The players play hard. And those are things that matter. I mean, I know those aren't X's and O's and that type of stuff, but I agree with your point on that, Joe, that that does matter, and the players clearly do enjoy playing for Doug. And after the chip thing, I thought the chip stuff was a little overblown with players not liking him, but there's no... There's no doubt that that was a bit of, of an issue. So I do think Doug has done a good job from that point. But where I do think Doug's major flaws is this, and this is where I don't, what I don't think you touched on. So this team is going to be playing in close competitive games. Doug has yet to show, and I'll just yes or no, Joe. Do, do you think he has what it takes to make snap quick decisions on the sideline in pressure situations? Not just like play calling, but like how to manage this, what to do in this situation and how that's going to impact him later. Like I haven't seen that from him. Do you, have you seen that? I uh, know not really. I think the jury's still out on that, but I don't, and I then, don't know. Has he cost them a game doing that? I mean, the Cowboy well, we, game the he Cowboy did last game. year, yep. the Cowboy games, the one last year on Sunday, other than the fourth down call, fourth and one, right. Well, before they kick the field goal to go up five, which I thought was the right call. And was it a little weird the way they went out there to try to get the, Redskins to jump off and to call the timeout. It was, but ultimately, I thought he made the right decision because he. Well, let's, but let's talk about that play, okay? Because okay. to me, that kind of like highlights the issues with Doug. Is I don't think he's good thinking quickly on his feet. I just don't think that that's a strength of his, and I think that's why you see why he gets ripped at the podium a little bit because he's not good at reacting quickly. I think when Doug's given time. He, he's better. And I think you see that, you know, they were three and zero last year. He got off to a hot start. They're one and zero this year, but that play. So they, they run their last play at the, keep in mind at this point, it's still a two point game. So right. I know they ended up winning by 13 points, but well, at this also point, lost after the bye last week. So I don't think that we can say that he's a better coach when he has time to prepare. Well, but that's when only, they lost coming off their bye week with Lane Johnson in a very winnable game against the Lions. I think that that play at the, the you know with the field goal on fourth down, I think he was legitimately trying to get the Redskins to jump off sides or find a way to you know not have the Redskins benefit from the two minute warning and not burning a timeout. 
Well, but but so all right. So let's talk about the jumping off sides thing. So he runs his last play with two forty six to play. Um, so they run the play. They run it with Garrett Blunt. They don't get the first down, which is a whole other issue in terms of Blunt. But they don't get it. So it's a two point game. They have a chip shot field goal. He, if you, if you want to go for it on fourth down, first of all, I think that would be a ridiculous decision to go for it. Some people were saying he should have gone for it. That would have been an extremely reckless decision to not kick that field goal and go up five. So the fact that he didn't go for it when he was going for it, I mean, I don't that think was, he ever planned on going for it though. No, I know, but I, I'm saying I don't think he ever planned on on hiking the ball. Agreed. So, but my thing is this: if you're gonna try to draw the Redskins off sides. Why not get to the line of scrimmage sooner? It just seemed like the decision. Like it, it just seemed as if it seemed chaotic. I guess is what I'm saying. It like, did. No, I agree with that. The whole the whole thing seemed chaotic all the like way down. Just gonna go for it, and and, then, and and Carson Wentz does have a good hard count. Like I saw him drive, um, get the Eagles defensive line to jump offside a bunch in training camp. So he does have. He is good at that. But to me, I, I rewatched it twice. Wentz is up at the line. Oh, like at the line about to snap the ball for six seconds and does a hard count twice. So if you're going to, if you're, if your plan is really to get them to jump off sides, why are you wasting roughly 40 seconds after your lap? Or I guess it wasn't 40 seconds because of the play clock, but you're wasting a ton of time after the last play. You rush up to the line of scrimmage and then you call a timeout right before the two minute warning. If you want to say that maybe he was trying to make sure the Redskins didn't have the two minute warning on the other side, Maybe that's a point. I would be surprised if that was the rationale. But I just thought the whole thing seemed extremely chaotic. And oh, wait, it was a running clock, though. It's not like on. it was. It's not like it was an incomplete pass with the the clock well, stopped. Thanks. So the clock, <clears throat> but the clock's running. If your if your plan is to get them to try to jump off sides, why do you only do it for you know five or six seconds? Like get up there sooner. Maybe try to draw them off sooner. But the other thing is this. Let's talk about the burn timeout. So the so they kick the field goal to go up five, right? Right. What if I mean he made the field goal with an easy field goal, but what if the, the he uh, Sturgis misses that field goal or the field goal is blocked? Right, you burn a timeout in a two point game where you're maybe going to need that timeout at the, either the end of the Redskins drive or on the ensuing drive if the Redskins were to score and you're losing. So to me, the chances of them jumping off sides in a six second window were so small that I don't think it was worth burning that timeout. So we can debate whether or not he should have even gone to the line of scrimmage, but then. To burn the timeout, I thought was was poor miss was was not a good idea either. Can we throw two things in this mix because I think this, they're important. One, Sturgis is hurt at this point, yeah. right? Um, so maybe that factored in too. Can he kick the field goal? Maybe he's trying to figure out how That's far another, away. Can- another reason to keep it to keep the timeout because if your kicker's hurt, then you would think there's a higher chance of him missing it. Okay. okay. Second part, and although it was chaotic, and I think this might be the theme of Doug's career as a head coach. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look right. right. But the results okay. aren't as bad as we talk about. Um, he made the right decision, and I think you, one of you guys said it a few minutes ago. It was a no-brainer. I agree, but. I mean, we saw, was it Friday when, or Thursday, whatever day it was, when Jeff Lurie had a state of the team, and he basically said that math dictates all these decisions, not Doug. I would argue that math probably would say, you you might think about going for that. Now, I don't know if their chart factors in time and score as much as it does just down and distance versus, you know, the field goal and probability of scoring, but he made the right decision. And last year, he went for a lot of those. He trusted his defense. He was right about it. I I think even if it's a no-brainer, he made the right decision, Matt. There he gets credit. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Joe, and I think that you're forced into kicking that field goal because LeGarrette Blunt, who's supposed to be your battering ram in short yardage, couldn't convert on third and three. Yep. So let, let's not forget that if you have a running back or if your offensive line is able to get enough push to convert on that third and three, 
we're not talking about whether or not Doug should have kicked the field goal, called a timeout, or gone for it. So <clears throat> I think what really happened there was they realized, or at least Doug wasn't confident enough in Blunt to convert that fourth and one to go for it. That, that's that's just the fact of the matter. If, if they felt they could go for it, I wouldn't have been surprised if they go for it there. because it would have been a terrible decision. Well, it's it, clear. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know that it would have been terrible in that spot because you're you're asking a Redskin team to drive 80 yards down the field on your defense. But you're defense. only up two points at that point. You're not, you're not, right. it's not, they, the Redskins didn't need to go 80 yards. They needed to go, I don't know, 40. I mean, they only needed a field goal. So like, if you want to, if you want to say to me, okay, fine, the potentially trying to jump them off sides. Like, I disagree with that. I think it was a stupid decision by Doug, but I at least see the reasoning. Had he gone for it, I thought even if they made it, I would have ripped him for that decision just because it would have been – you have the win basically almost wrapped up. You kick that field goal. The, you, like you just said, the Redskins offense wasn't playing that great in the second half. Going for it would have been like a f- almost fireable offense in my opinion. Like that would have been so reckless and just dumb. But going – but he didn't go for it. So he but, but, but let's, let's not forget that they don't have the personnel to convert third and three. That, that's Which would have made want, it even whether, – Whether we want to debate – whether it was the right decision or not to, to send them out there to try to draw them off sides, whether it was the right decision to kick a field goal or not, th- that play is a microcosm of how I believe this season is going to play out. You thought that you had the personnel to convert a short yardage situation, and you don't. Whether it's the offensive line not getting the requisite push to be- develop an effective run game, or the fact that you went out and signed a 30-year-old short yardage specialist who couldn't convert on third and three. I, I don't know necessarily that Doug is going to cost them a game, but I think there's a much better chance that the same way that you didn't have a running back who could convert a two-yard conversion in Baltimore last year theoretically cost you a game. I I think not having a running back or a sustainable running game is going to cost them a or multiple games this season. I think that that last point, Matt, you made there about the sustainable running game is, yeah, and you could say some of it is on Doug for not sticking with it, and I think that that's a debate, uh, a fair one. That's you probably my debate. one criticism of Doug from Sunday. We can right, point to I, that Nelson Aguilar uh-huh. backwards screen pass, but two things went wrong there. Number one, Doug said yesterday that it was a run pass option. The throw mm-hmm. was high and behind Nelson Aguilar, and Aguilar was off target in terms of the route. So I mean, is that a terrible play call in that spot? I think absolutely. But if Carson Wentz audibled from the run to the pass option there, I can't blame Doug. I, I can't put the full blame on Doug for that play going bad. But what I can say is they thought they solved a problem in terms of the short yardage back, and, and they just didn't. LeGarrette Blount looked slow, as he did all spring and summer. The offensive line was was terrible in terms of getting to the second level. And, Joe, as you've been saying and as I've talked about, they got away from that running game way too quickly. Running the ball 13 times in the first three quarters, that's just not enough balance to – deliver an effective offense but the offensive line part I think that's the the fascinating part moving forward because Doug's going to get the blame if they don't run the ball but if they don't run the ball well early I think he's going to keep abandoning it because I feel like Doug looks at it and says we got to move the football we have to score points and I can't do it if Jason Kelsey can't get a push like this is a bit this is a bigger problem right now than Doug Peterson is that offensive line doesn't move the other front do you guys blame him for that though that he, no, I, I don't blame Doug for Jason Kelsey not being good anymore. No, no, no. But I'm saying like um, we you guys just based. I mean, Matt especially said they don't have a running game. They can't do certain things, which I agree with. But then you say he abandoned the run. But I mean, what's he supposed to do? Just keep 
putting Blunt up the middle and to the side and hope that it ha- I mean, yeah, I'd do the same thing. I would do the same thing if I was Doug. Yeah. I, I have a quarterback. But, but, but early, on, early on in a game, early on in a game when you're trying to set the tone, even if it's not working, I think, he, I think you've got to keep amount. trying. He did 13 run times in the first three quarters, that, that, that's what? Four, well, run, four runs a quarter on average? Hell, all right, we'll get, to, we'll get to the feedback because we have a million tweets and emails about the screen passes. I think those are extensions of the run game for him. And we've they seen are. this in the West Coast offense for well, years. Go ahead. Let me Andy say something about Paul's- the screen. Hold on, sorry, just really quick about the screen passes. The issue with calling these screen passes is, and I see the, the reasoning behind it, but again, it comes to personnel. The Eagles don't have elusive playmakers. I mean, maybe Aguilar slightly, but how many times has a play where they've given the ball to Aguilar, either behind the line of scrimmage or right at it, resulted in a, in a positive gain? I mean, it just— How many? It, n- none, outside of the preseason game three years ago before— I mean, <laughs> But I'm saying, like, like it, so you can say, all right, well, you throw it out to the side because you can't trust offensive line, but they don't have elusive players. I mean, for all the— for as much as I defend Zach Ertz, he's not good after the catch. Torrey Smith, uh, you know, he did show some burst on that one thing, but I don't think he's a line of scrimmage guy. Like, so th- those plays are just not good plays, and Doug is sticking with them. So that right. that is a criti- I think a completely fair criticism of Doug. That if you want to have, if you need to get inventive to get the run game going, I think you got to do something else because you don't have the personnel at receiver to make people miss on the outside. Last one before we move to the listener feedback, because we, we, you know, so many people got to us and uh, tweeted or emailed. So we want to make sure we, we get a lot of these in this episode. Um, there's been a, a feeling that and you guys said it to an extent, but really, I hear this a lot. Just listening to talk radio in town on social media that Carson made these crazy plays and bailed Doug out. And in a way, anytime a quarterback makes a scramble play and throws the ball down the field, it is not, you know, 90 whatever percent on the quarterback's physical ability and instinct. And I think Carson Wentz is special. We'll get to him. But I think Zach Ertz, it was either Monday or Sunday. You guys might have been in the scrum with him, or I'm sure you saw the quotes or heard them um, if you guys weren't exactly there with him. I heard Zach Ertz say that the, and you guys, I'm sure, saw it if he's talking about it. They practice scramble drills in, yep. and they have rules in practice. So while the, the story is, wow, Carson is the next Big Ben or Aaron Rodgers or whatever, look at the plays he makes. I got to give coaching staff credit. I don't know many coaching staff, at least I haven't heard many players that say that after a game. Like Zach Ertz was saying, look, we have rules on scrambles. We practice this all the time. Is that true, Elliot? Well, I know they did it in North Dakota. And I'm sure they did. I'm, I'm, yeah, they, they do it in training camp because, remember, this is the second year now. So right. last year they were spending a lot of the time simply just learning the offense. Now they can, you know, expand it and practice those type of things. So, yeah, that is true. Yeah, right, and well, Carson I- talked about it after the game. Zach Ertz talked it, about it after the game. They do it a lot in seven-on-sevens. And a lot of times they'll dial up situations in practice where, you know, the goal isn't necessarily to run the play that's called, but for Carson to scramble around back there and the, the wide receivers and tight ends to break off their routes, get open, and A, so Carson's better moving out of the pocket and making plays. B, the wide receivers find a way to improvise downfield. And C, it prepares the defensive backs for broken plays of the opposing offenses. So, yeah, that's something they did this summer, and I think it's something that, while it looks great in terms of what happened with Aguilar, I, I think that it might be prepared or or worked on more than a lot of us thought that they were doing. Yeah, I, I think that those plays in our minds when it happens, like that just was a broken play. But like you know, like you're saying, there, there's something to 
practicing it. All right, let's get to our emails. The No Huddle Show at njadvancemedia.com. We'll do these every week. So send us your hot takes right after the game or you know, as soon as you kind of form them. And we'll talk about them on these Tuesday episodes. All right, we got two emails I'm going to read back to back. And then we can react to them because they're, they're very similar. Uh, one's from Hubert and the second one from Dan. Uh, Hubert, he's coming after you, Elliot. He said, Elliot, your heat on nice. Doug is not very <laughs> warranted. Um, I get it for those stupid sideline throws, but that field goal was the right play. Remember, we were crapping on him last year for going versus Dallas and the Giants. I didn't see that many bad calls. Dan also sent one in on the same uh, type of uh, wavelength there. Dan said, was it just me or did every third and long seem like a screen pass? It got to the point that every time I saw Aguilar in motion pre-snap, I would cringe because I was expecting another dreadful screenplay. It just seems Doug is so hell-bent on getting that play to work. Uh, He'll keep running it no matter how negative the result is. As a coach, it's identify what's working and what's not. And adjust. Do we? Do you guys really think that he um, goes to that well too often? Or do you think there's something more he's trying to do there? I, I'm trying to figure out as I watch the game: is he trying to set something up for later? Is he just trying to run the same play? Are they variations? What do you think, Elliot? So, well, for, well, first let me say this guy that was criticizing me. Thank you for emailing. But also, like, I agree going for the field goal is the right decision. My issue was not kicking the field goal. My issue was what happened beforehand. I just thought it seemed chaotic and unnecessary before you kicked that field goal. But look, this Aguilar thing is not going away. In training camp, they did it a ton. They did this, you know, handing it to him behind the line of scrimmage, throwing it to him in the flat. He was targeted a ton in training camp, and a lot of those targets were in that were in that type of play. So that is not going away. Why he does it, I, I literally have no idea. Because it's not effective. It's not scaring the opposing defense. If you're if you're the Chiefs this week and you're game planning for them, do you think you're worried about Nelson Aguilar going in motion? I mean, there whatever he's trying to set up because of this is not working. And you know, you you know, talk about maybe setting up the run game. We just talked about how bad the run game was. So I I think this is just like I have no I can't explain why he continues to go to it. Because well, it's it's to set things up for later in the game. And Chip Kelly used to do this all the time where they'd run the same formation three or four times. And the fifth time it breaks for a 50 yard play that that little backwards screen pass run pass option of Nelson Aguilar. They ran it earlier in the game when Aguilar was on a wheel route and it turned into a 13 yard gain. They ran the same play or tried to with Sproles out of the backfield that the ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage and it was picked off for a pick six. So it, it's obvious that they saw something thing in the Redskins front and Doug talked about the, the Redskins doing something a little bit differently and some unscouted blitzes and unscouted looks from the front seven. I, I think based on what they saw on tape from the Redskins a year ago and during the preseason, they saw something in that particular wheel route out of the backfield, that particular play that they were trying to set something up for later in the game. And then it also puts it on tape that other defensive coordinators have to now pay attention to, okay, when Aguilar goes in motion, is he going in motion into the backfield to do this? Or is he going motion to the backfield to run that wheel route? And we now have to dedicate a, a, a linebacker or a cornerback to him coming out of the backfield, which might free up something to the tight end or on the other side of the field. So while we can say that he runs those plays too often, and I agree, I, I'm really not a fan of these lateral screen passes to a, a receiver like Aguilar or a player like Aaron Sproles. The reason they do it is to set something up for later in the game or later in the year. Do we think, too, and, and I always go back to this, you know, I always try to think, what are they doing with the quarterback? Are they trying to protect him? I, I think it could be to protect him, the screen passes and laterals from getting hit, because if, you, you know, you drop him back and throw in a bomb 40 yards down the field, you're more likely to get hit there. Also, theoretically, Matt, shouldn't these be easy completions for Carson in some of them? You know, the play where um, 
the ball went off of Nelson's hands or the play where Aguilar did catch it, but the blocking was. These should be theoretically easy completions for Wentz to get him in rhythm, right? Yeah, you, you would think. And, and I look at that Aguilar play. It was doomed from the start. Torrey Smith missed a block on the edge. Um, I, I think that the Redskins were kind of prepared for it because the Eagles did run such a similar play two or three times. And Aguilar was out of position. He was two or three yards back from where he needed to be. But that throw was high and wide. And, and Carson Wentz, I, I think he has the potential to be an elite quarterback throwing in the middle of the field uh, between the hash marks. But I don't think he yet has developed an accurate and consistent enough deep ball. And I don't think he's an, an elite passer yet to the sideline. And I think those sideline throws are throws that he really needs to improve on if that's going to be such a focal point of this offense. I mean, he was one for six on deep ball passes. And last year, in terms of going deep, he only threw 39 passes over 20 yards and nine passes over 40 yards last year. So this offense is primarily based on the slot and the tight end. That's why Jordan Matthews had big numbers. That's why Zach Ertz led the team in receiving last year. That's why those guys were targeted 16 times on Sunday. Wentz isn't yet consistent enough deep or good enough throwing to the sideline where I don't know why Doug continues to force those sideline routes yet when Wentz clearly hasn't developed to the point where he is strong enough in, in those particular throws to, to execute them effectively consistently. All right. Two more emails. They're, they're both. We'll, we'll go to Wentz here because I, it's just amazing what he was able to do. But I think, Matt, you're onto something that there's also an exciting element to this because he's not yet a polished quarterback. So Jack said, as part of his email, Jack chimed in the no huddle show at njadvancemedia.com. Went shows why he's the franchise sloppy game, but a win is a win. And Anthony said to start his email, Carson solidifies even further that he's the franchise quarterback of the Eagles. Elliot, when I watched that game Sunday, that the play he made to to Aguilar for the first touchdown. And then the one later in the game, and I think you put up a, a GIF or a GIF, whatever we say it, on Monday of the play he made up the sideline. I think it was third and two to Ertz for the first down where he basically scrambled out again. I mean, those are plays three to five quarterbacks in the whole league can make. He can do it. Mm-hmm. And yet you watch him and he still misses some. He's not polished. Like that, That's the exciting part to me that he's, he's not a finished product yet, yet you see in the flashes of just amazing play. Yeah, I mean, look, I agree. Every pass he threw against the Redskins wasn't accurate. I, his deep balls, I agree, were not like concerning, concerning. But yeah, I mean, you want to do better for one, than one from six. But let's remember, this is only his 17th game in the NFL. So I think there's just so much overwhelming positive there with Wentz. I mean, how many quarterbacks, think about since McNabb, how many quarterbacks Eagles have tried to trot out there as their franchise guy? Wentz is the only guy that wins this game for them out of all the guys they've had. Sam Bradford doesn't win this game. Kevin Cobb doesn't win this game. I mean, so I thought there was just overwhelming amounts of positive from Wentz. And I think, you know, one thing we see in the comment section for uh, on the podcast app is that sometimes we're a little, little overly negative. And I, you know, based off of us ripping Doug, maybe that's true sometimes. But I think that the fact is, as much as we talk about Doug, the biggest come away from this game is the Eagles have a franchise quarterback. They, I mean, there's no maybe about it. This guy is a franchise quarterback. He went into an opposing team stadium in a game where they did team or didn't play overly well overall, and they, he pulled it off. I mean, he, he he has all those qualities. So I agree with Matt that yeah, every pass of his isn't isn't that he does struggle with accuracy accuracy sometimes. But I think there's just the positives way outweigh the negatives. 
Hashtag the No Huddle Show on Twitter. We got a lot of reaction here right after the game. And a theme of it was anti-Doug, which we talked about to start this show. Some of it was a lot of Carson Wentz and the amazing play he made. But a lot of it, Matt, was about the defensive line and Brandon Graham, who was just off the charts good on Sunday. I mean, he just was in the backfield. It felt like every play, run or pass, he was in the backfield. And as I'm looking at this reaction um, on Twitter after the game, you know, we talk about Carson, we talk about this defensive line. It feels like they have a formula here that should keep them in a lot of games. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that Eagles fans are still scorned by the fact that the Eagles moved up to take Brandon Graham over Earl Thomas. And we, we've debated that pick for years. I'm not trying to relitigate that conversation. But I look at Brandon Graham and you look at the way pro football focus grades out Brandon Graham. And you look at what Brandon Graham does on a weekly basis, not just in sack numbers, but in terms of pressures on the quarterback. We have to look at him as one of the top five to 10 pass rushers in the NFL. And, and I think that you know, people don't value what he does quite enough. And I think that Sunday you saw that. You saw him get consistent pressure. You, you saw it on that, that that forced fumble sack on Kirk Cousins, the Fletcher Cox return for the touchdown. The formula is there. The formula is there with Jernigan and Cox playing alongside each other to give, you know, A-gap pressure, which Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers talk about all the time. Pressure up the middle is the most difficult to deal with. And then when you have Brandon Graham coming off the edge, that's a really you know difficult situation for opposing quarterbacks. Now that you factor in the potential of Jim Schwartz blitzing more often, and who knows if he'll do that again with Ronald Darby not being back there. But defensively, the formula is there. The players and the personnel are there for the defensive line to be far and away the strength of this team. And, and if they put forward that kind of performance and get that type of push week in and week out, we'll see what happens against Alex Smith, who is a, a tremendously more accomplished and even more mobile quarterback than Kirk Cousins is. We'll We'll see what happens against Kansas City. But if that defensive line plays as well as they did against Kansas City and, and against the Giants offensive line that, holy smokes, that I overestimate what they had a potential to be. But if the Eagles play as well as they did on Sunday against the Chiefs and against the Giants, they're going to be in those football games. And particularly against the Giants, they're going to put them in a position to win that game. Yeah, I mean, they're going to hit Eli Manning 20 times in that game if that Giants offensive line is the same one um, that we saw in week one. Elliot, we had a tweet here, hashtag the no huddle show. Schwartz styled the blitz at the right times, Graham dominant. Uh, that was obvious early that Jim Schwartz was, you know, along with the defensive line playing well for him. He was using the blitz, sending Patrick Robinson, sending linebackers. We didn't see much of that last year, um, but it was a big part of what he did Sunday. Yeah, he called a great game. I mean, he really did. And let's not forget, we haven't, we haven't talked about it yet, but he loses Ronald Darby early on. And we can debate how good Ronald Darby is, but that's still your number one cornerback that you were game-playing to have. And I thought the way he handled that ended up working out great. He moved Malcolm Jenkins up into the, into the nickel cornerback role more. I thought Patrick Robinson really stepped up. I mean, we've ripped him on this podcast and about the job he did at training camp, but week one, when the Eagles needed him, he was there. I mean, he might've been, I mean, Jalen Mills had a really good game too, but Patrick Robinson might've been their best cornerback in week one. So I thought, yeah, Schwartz did a great job, but the secondary really stepped up too. For as much as we're talking about the pass rush, I thought players in the secondary did step up. And part of that is due no to doubt. the pass rush, but uh, yeah, I thought the secondary was great as was Schwartz. Uh, that leads us to this next uh, piece of reaction here. Nathan tweeted in, worried about the corners moving forward. Sydney Jones, 27 
2017 season more important now than ever. Um, Matt, the reaction to the corners stepping up was, I mean, it was incredible because my thought was when Darby went out of the game and they carted him off, uh-oh, you know, Cousins is going to find his mojo here. They're going to move the ball down the field. It didn't really happen because those guys like Mills, like you guys just mentioned, played really well. But I think it's different when you're in the moment and you kind of get by, you rally around the injury yep. and you, you yep. band together and, and defensive line play well. Now comes the test. I mean, Kansas City's loaded. The Giants, if they could block, could be loaded, especially when Beckham comes back. Now we're going to find out if they really can survive um, without these corners. And I guess the Sidney Jones conversation uh, holds more merit now. Yeah, I totally agree. And I wrote about this in my observations after the game. Elliot and I talked about it in the podcast from FedEx Field. They survived on Sunday. And I give them a lot of credit for surviving. Patrick Robinson absolutely stepped up, moving from the slot corner to the outside opposite of Jalen Mills. But it's just not sustainable to have Malcolm Jenkins as your primary nickel corner and bringing in Corey Graham. The one player who I think we also need to throw game ball to is Jalen Watkins. He, He stepped in and for the first time, in the fourth quarter. I think we saw him show he belongs in the NFL and he deserves some snaps, but it's going to be real interesting this week. They're going to be without Ronald Darby for probably closer to six weeks and four weeks, particularly with how gruesome that injury looked. And they're going to be in a real spot where they, I don't think they wanted to play Rasul Douglas this year, or at least for halfway through the year. I think they look at him as more of a developmental player at this stage. And that was a long-term play that next year, your corners would be Douglas Jones and Darby with Mills playing that hybrid safety cornerback role. Now you're probably going to have to thrust Rasul Douglas into the lineup, or you're going to have to activate CJ Smith from the practice squad. And oh, by the way, you're going to be doing it against Alex Smith, who had an otherworldly performance against the Patriots last week and a Chiefs team that has Tyreek Hill and some really speedy wide receivers. So I give them a lot of credit for surviving against the Redskins. Now it's time to go out there and figure out what you're going to do for the next four to six weeks to get by without Ronald Darby. And I agree with you, Joe. I I think that there's a really good chance now. And and I said all along, I I said from the moment he was drafted, I'd be more surprised if Sidney Jones didn't play this year than if he did. And now it looks like you're going to need him. You might need him come week eight, come week nine, particularly if this Darby injury lingers or you just realize that you're not going to get enough out of Rasul Douglas. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Sidney Jones back here by the middle of the season. So this is Hot Take Tuesday, right? So I'm going to drop drop a hot take on you guys. Here we go. I, I agree, Ronald Darby, the loss, it hurts just because he was a starting quarterback. But I think people are overstating a little bit. Like, the season is not doomed because Ronald Darby is going to miss four to six weeks. The secondary is, I mean, like, I thought Jalen Mills played really well. Like I said, Patrick Robinson played well. And I agree that, you know, in the heat of the moment against the Redskins is one thing to do a week in and week out is another. But Ronald Darby was an average cornerback to below average cornerback last year for the Bills. So he wasn't playing overly well in the quarter he played against the Redskins. He was beat deep by Terrell Pryor. The ball was just, I forget, it was either dropped or overthrown, but Terrell Pryor did beat him deep. Um, we saw Devontae Parker do it. So the, the loss of Darby hurts just it just hurts because he was a starting corner, but I don't think this is like a devastating blow to the defense like other people do. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, um, I, I think that the Mills, the Mills thing is interesting because he played, he played well. I mean, I know Pro Football Focus, Matt, you mentioned that with Brandon Graham. They didn't like Jalen Mills last year. They were the opposite. They, the way they yep. felt about Brandon Graham, they felt the opposite about Jalen Mills. Yet I watched him last they year. They didn't like him against the Redskins either. They they had they him with, I gave, given up over a hundred. I think it was hundred and eight yards or something like that. 
Maybe maybe it's my eyes deceiving me. Maybe I just have a different opinion than them. I don't think he's bad. I mean, I, he gets beat sometimes, and his his speed will that that's because he doesn't have great speed. But right. I feel okay with him out there. Matt, how do you feel about Mills now, last year, plus this one game? Yeah, I, I think that he has a chance to be a very good safety. I, I don't know, because he doesn't have that speed, I, I don't know how if you're matching him up one-on-one on Tyreek Hill, how Tyreek Hill doesn't come down with 160 yards and a touchdown. Look, he's yeah, but look, what, look what Tyreek Hill does against the majority. I mean, he had 124 yards last week. Yeah, no, well, I, I, yeah. I get that. And Tyreek Hill's the extreme example. But my, my point here is, he doesn't have the type of speed that Ronald Darby has. And even though we can say he had a below average year last year, which is true, he was also playing in a new system for the first time that maybe he just wasn't cut out for. And that's why they wound up trading him. And he has that speed to, to keep chase with a Terry kill, to keep chase with a Terrell Pryor, even though he got beat the one time over the top to, to hang potentially with an Odell Beckham. I, I don't see that with Jalen Mills. And I think that you know, he's he stepped up against Alshon Jeffrey last year, but I don't think he played all that well against Antonio Brown in that Steeler game. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> right. No, but but no, but my point here is that you're going when you match up with elite wide receivers, you're going to need a cornerback who can be competitive against those guys. And I don't know that Jalen Mills is quite that guy as a cornerback. As a safety, I think he's more suited to play that role than outside corner. Well, I, I will say, I mean, here's the thing about Mills. I agree he doesn't have elite speed, um, but I think, one, he's very good at minimizing damage. He's a good tackler. I think he's a better tacker, tackler than Ronald Darby is. And part of being a number one cornerback is having those cornerback, is an elite, is having those elite qualities. But I'll also say, I mean, Jalen Mills last year, no, not even last year. This this past week against the Redskins, he's matched up one on one with Terrell Pryor in the end zone. Maybe he gets away with the holding call, or I mean, defensive pass interference. But he knocks the ball away, goes up over over a receiver. It was a great play. It was yeah. a great play, right? So I think Mills, I think people are focusing too much on just the fact that he doesn't have speed. I mean, that is only one aspect of the game. I think. Like Joe said, I you know you look at Pro Football Focus, and I like Pro Football Focus, but I don't always agree with them. I just the watching the game, I thought he played he played well, and I thought he came up big at the end of the game when they needed him. So is he going to be a number one elite shutdown cornerback that you feel confident matching up against Antonio Brown, Odell, Tyree Kill, and back to back to back weeks? No, but there's maybe only three of those guys in the entire league. I think Mills is going to be a very good number two. And, you know, borderline number one. I mean, I think he has the attitude. I think he has other qualities besides just speed that you want for want from in a cornerback. Hashtag the no huddle show on Twitter at Rob underscore Volkman. Uh, he had an interesting one and a name that we didn't talk much about. And it's it's weird. Elliot, I think you started the show by saying, you know, they won and, and yet we're having this kind of conversation um, with some negativity off of week one. If you told me before week one that we'd have a reaction show and we'd go, what, 40 minutes into this thing before Alshon Jeffrey's name was really brought up, I would have been surprised. But that's what just happened. Rob said, is the Eagles plan for Jeffrey really just to toss him up, jump balls and not try to get him open? Now, I'm sure they were trying to get him open. It didn't work Sunday, but he really wasn't a big part of that game. I know he had the two point conversion. He had the one play where. He almost got it on the 50-50 ball that I think people expect him to, to bring down most of the time. But there wasn't much going towards Alshon Jeffrey, Elliot. Yeah, I mean, Alshon is a good receiver at, at times, but I don't think, like I said, he's not a consistent week-in or week-out dominating number one, and I think that's what you saw. Um, <clears throat> he dropped, I think he dropped at least one pass. I think I had him with two, but I think officially he went down with one drop. Um you know, the 50-50 ball, do, I'm not going to kill him for not getting that. 
because he's jumping up against two defenders. He gets his hand on it. He almost brings it down. But I heard all offseason that those are catches he makes, and this is his catch radius, and this is why you pay him $9.5 million. So to go up against – I mean, look, I said before the game that this is a big game for Alshon because you pay him to come in and dominate these type of games. You pay him to line up and say, I don't care who's on the other side. I don't care that it's Josh Norman. I'm going to dominate. He was targeted one time in the first half, and really I think he ended up with, what, 34 yards receiving or something like that. So he lost his matchup with the Redskins secondary this week. I know the Eagles won the game, but Alshon lost. And, you know, you can make the argument he helped the offense in other ways by drawing attention. I think there's some truth to that. But if this is the type of game you're going to get from Alshon, I mean, this is this is who he is in a lot of ways. I think there'll be two or three games this year where he dominates and we sit here and he has two touchdowns and, you know, 120 yards or something. But I think there's going to be more games this season than not where we look at him and we say, yeah, he was okay, but he, you know, he was there, but he didn't really do much. Yeah, not Matt, we, have myself so, Matt we can add this before you, you give your thought on Jeffrey, because this, this yeah. I think, can play right into what you're going to say, um, or maybe you disagree with it. Grayson.work, at Grayson.work, tweeted in and said, Nelson Aguilar will be more impressive than Alshon Jeffrey this season. Matt, do you agree with that? And then your thoughts on, uh, on uh, Jeffrey. Number one, I think by default, Nelson Aguilar has a chance to be more impressive than Alshon Jeffrey because this quarterback in this offense funnels through the slot receiver and the tight end, and Wentz hasn't shown me anything where he can consistently hit the deep ball with Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey, so I think you're going to, and there's nothing wrong with that. If the defense is giving you the stuff underneath and you're more comfortable as a quarterback passing between the hash marks over the middle, then, then fine. That's what worked last year with Jordan Matthews. That's what worked for Zach Ertz. I almost think you can plug and play players at that slot and tight end position and as long as they can catch the football they're going to put up big numbers that's just the way Carson is that's just the way this offense works but as far as Alshon Jeffrey goes let's not go jumping off bridges he was still targeted seven times caught three passes and yeah he should have caught a couple of those 50-50 balls because that's what he does but I'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit. I said on all the podcasts last week, I wrote about this for the last two weeks, it's going to take time for Wentz and Jeffrey to get their timing down. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think that you saw the same thing with Kirk Cousins and Terrell Pryor. When you bring in a veteran wide receiver with a quarterback, they're not going to hit the ground running week one or week two. They have to get their timing down, have to get their chemistry down. And I think it's going to take a couple weeks for that to get there. But, you know, I'll say this. Carson Wentz only attempted 39 deep passes last year of 20 yards or more, nine of 40 yards or more. And you look at the targets to uh, to Torrey Smith, at least two of his three targets were deep and at least two of the seven to Alshon Jeffrey were deep. So, so that's an element to the offense that wasn't even in the playbook last year. So I think that part of the reason why Ertz and Aguilar benefited was because of the attention that you had to pay over the top. So the numbers weren't there. The production wasn't there. But I think that's going to come in the next few weeks. I'd also like to say this is why I was highlighting during training camp that these mispractices mattered. When everyone else was saying I was making a big deal out of it, Matt just said it. Look, this is gonna. if you want to say it's going to – if your argument for Alshon not playing well – in week one and maybe him taking some time to produce and he's going to face some good cornerbacks. I mean, next week he's going to face Marcus Peters the week after that, the giant secondary is very good. But again, if, if he's going to be the guy that you're, everyone's telling me next next off season, they're not going to be able to afford. And he's like a top 15 guy, then go prove it. And if if you're not going to prove it against these elite guys, then are you really an elite receiver? And if you want to tell me that he's starting slow because of if he's starting slow because it's going to take time, then you also can't tell me that mispractices don't well, matter. Well, did Terrell Pryor mispractice? 
I mean, it's it's one thing to do it in practice. It's another thing in a game situation against cornerbacks right. like Josh Norman. So uh, again, it, it would have helped. It certainly would help to have that timing in practice and all that. But I think in game situations against live bullets, it's still going to take time because Wentz will be facing a live pass rushing games that he wasn't facing in practice. You're going up against defenses that you're not going up against every day, so you don't know their tendencies like you would in practice. It's just gonna it's gonna take some time, and and I don't think that we're gonna be sitting here in week four or week five and saying, oh my God, why is now Sean Jeffrey a part of the offense? I think it's just growing pains early in the season. And like Joe said, offense was down across the league. And I think part of that is how much turnover you've had at the receiver position league wide and quarterbacks and receivers just looking to get on that same page. Yeah, I just think Alshon's overrated. I just I just think he's overrated. I just think like this is a guy that people continue to make excuses for and now we're making excuses again for him so i'll be interested to see in week five or six what his numbers are and what we're saying or if we're still sitting here saying like if we're still sitting here making excuses i'll just be interested to see five or six weeks so i think that was my take from him from alshon a week one i'll end with this hot take i don't think this is going to last all year but just based on week one just based on the way the offense went matt you touched on the the way they scheme this thing up he looked like the fourth option on Sunday in the passing game. Ertz was one. Yep. Uh, Aguilar with the big plays. Tory Smith, who we all, you know, there's going to be a big play there soon between Tory and and Carson because they're probably going to connect on one of these. Uh, and then then was Alshon. So uh, I didn't expect that, but that's the way it looked to me in week and, one. All right, and guys. Off of, off of that, Joe, real quick. In training camp, I, I tracked how many times Wentz threw it to each guy. Top three guys were Ertz, Aguilar, Sproles. Top three targets on Saturday or Sunday. Ertz, Aguilar, Sproles. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think, I mean, Alshon is going to, he, I don't think he is a top two, three option on this team. Well, and well, I, I think have, it's partially because, right I think it's Fourth partially option, because the, Alshon, right, because, because this offense doesn't go deep because this quarterback operates between the hashes, not to the sidelines. Well, and if that's the case, then why does everyone want to pay Alshon deep. all this money? If that's the case, if that's the case that this offense doesn't utilize a deep, number one dominating receiver. I think, I think they're trying to develop that part of Wentz's game. And if you, you're going to try to get that out of Carson Wentz, you need to have receivers who can win those matchups on the outside. And Wentz just isn't at that point yet. So in the meantime, he's going to feast underneath, which means it's going to be a lot of targets for Aguilar and Ertz. Now, let, let's revisit it in week eight or week nine and see where Smith and Jeffrey are in terms of targets and completions. But for the time being, Wentz just isn't a consistent enough passer deep into the out routes to, to get these guys the kind of production that you'd expect them to get in other places. I could tell this is going to be a fun episode every week. Hashtag the No Huddle Show. And, of course, if you want to send us an email, the No Huddle Show at NJ Advanced Media for your hot takes, your reaction right after the game. We just did about 50 minutes with pretty fun reaction there. And they won. They won by 13 on the road. The Eagles are 1-0. You guys will be in Kansas City for week two. You guys will have a podcast later this week. And then, of course, after the game on Sunday, I'll be back with you guys next week to react to whatever the Eagles do against the Chiefs. Elliot, this was fun. Yep. Talk to you guys soon. Matt, Can't wait till next you. time. Can't wait. Everyone have a great uh, week. You guys will come with more podcasts as we go along. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any real estate podcast you can find us. And, of course, leave a rating. Five stars helps the show grow. Everyone, thanks for listening to the No Huddle Show. <laughs>